Welcome to the Jack Lantern Press podcast, where we discuss monsters and Halloween. I'm Michael Piccarella, publisher of jacklanternpress.com. And I'm Tom Piccarella, head of research and development at jacklanternpress.com. And today's episode is Aliens Attack. And uh, Tom, do you know why it's called Aliens Attack? Because this is basically going to take the uh, the three things that that both I like and and uh, that Mike likes, and these are the three encounters of just anything randomized with anything to do with aliens. So it could be from books, movies, magazines, whatever you want to have it. So we we kind of uh, we didn't tell each other what we were going to do, and we're just kind of going to kind of throw those out and. But- uh, but more important, uh, today is Alien Day, April 26. That's 426. And for those that don't know what Alien Day is, 426. Um, in the Alien movie, uh, LV 426 is the uh, the exo moon where the uh, where they found the alien eggs. It's where the USCSS Nostromo encountered alien eggs. Exomoon LV426. So on 426, they have made it Alien Day where you can, you know, a lot of people, they celebrate the alien franchise. They'll do a marathon of all the alien movies or, you know, it's a chance to uh, read the alien books or graphic novels. So today... Uh, alien day tom and i are in ufo springs um we are in area 13 um just outside the uh the festivities all kinds of aliens martians are uh, out there celebrating and uh we're inside just a little hangar off of uh one of the strips uh, recording and uh so yeah we're going to talk about our favorite our favorite alien encounters um, and just, just so you know that we are in uh, UFO Springs, you'll hear the this little laser, little laser blaster because uh, we are definitely in UFO Springs. So that well, not only that, it. not only that, we got all of the the squads of aliens and the people that are actually transforming uh, into into basically uh, to go do alien encounters and actually uh, go take over other galaxies. There's a huge training going on uh, over here as well. And what's cool about UFO Springs is they have um, all of these, these aliens line up in perfect order as they march down the the streets and stuff. So it's kind of neat watching all that right now down here. Yeah. They have, they have all kinds of things on alien day here in UFO Springs. Um, they have face huggers that are celebrating. They search for all kinds of faces to hug, and uh, you know, look to uh, implant their their uh, eggs inside humans. Uh, you've got uh, crawlers that are initiating day long games of hide and go mutilate. It's it's a good time. Um, usually, the day starts with uh, an alien uh, emerging from some lucky human's chest. Um, they'll celebrate the first one of the day. So that has already happened this morning. Uh, bright and early at about 12.15 a.m., uh, an alien popped out of uh, someone's chest, and it, and it kicked off the uh, the ceremonies for the day. 
Yeah, and but I, don't, if, I don't know if you oh, saw. I don't. I don't know if you saw just uh, just about an hour ago. Uh, there was a huge nuclear explosion that took place over on the the south side of uh, UFO Springs, and I think they were they were testing some of their nukes over there. So, uh, oh, I must have missed that. Yeah, it was huge. It was a great light show that they put on, and and uh, so everybody's getting really excited. Well, for those who uh, don't know much about UFO Springs. You can read more about it in our upcoming book. It's called The Transylvania Traveler, and uh, it kind of guides you through Transylvania's 13 districts, uh, one of those districts being UFO Springs. You've got Werewolf Town. You've got Witch's Meadow. And uh, so it's it's a humorous guide that uh, that takes you through these these various districts. But the book also kind of, you know, while while you're going through for example, Werewolf Town, you know, we'll we'll talk about movies that inspired each land. So werewolf movies and then in UFO Springs, different uh, alien movies. Um, so the book is kind of a celebration of, of movies and books and stories, video games, um, along with being uh, a journey, a travel guide through through Transylvania, the monster universe, and uh, and it's also, also just really, really just a survival guide, uh, also because it gives you pointers, tips. There's a there's a there's a couple of things in there of what you need to take to each district in order to survive that district, and then try to get out of the the dangers and whatnot that you're gonna you're gonna encounter on the way through the district through all the various stories and whatnot. So it's it's kind of a survival guide. And it's packed with entertainment for sure. It's got some. It's got some good recipes in there for you to try. What you can, you can try in Witch's Meadow and things you can eat in Transylvania Hills, which is a, a suburb of Transyl of downtown Transylvania. So, it's a lot of fun, and uh, it will be coming soon. Um, just check in at jackolanternpress.com. That's jackolanternpress.com, uh, and there should be updates there. And uh, once the book is is out, there'll be a link where you can just click on that and uh, and check out the book. Yeah. So I think what we're going to do right now is we're gonna we're gonna kick it off with our our three encounters with aliens. Um, like I said, we we picked we picked three each, and what we're gonna do is we're gonna pick our our least out of the three. So we're gonna start basically with number three and go backwards. And we're going to go back and forth. So we'll do the three, two, one and and go our, my three, his three and so on and so forth. And so I, without further ado, I'm going to pass it over to you, Mike, and you can you can throw your number three out. Yep. Yeah. So, again, just, uh, you know, for for me, for how I picked my top three alien encounters, I basically w- was looking at anything, whether it was um uh, movies uh true you know accounts or you know potential true accounts um i was looking at toys i was looking at cartoons like i really looked at any type of of alien content or or thing and that's how i came to my decision so it was tough coming to to only three of them so i will probably have some honorable mentions at the end but my number three um is um you know 
when I was a newspaper reporter, I remember I got sent to um, to cover a MUFON meeting. Um, and what what MUFON is, it's it's it stands for Mutual UFO Network. And um, they had this this guy speaking, this Jim Delatesso or Delatoso. I can't remember how he pronounced it, but I think that's it. But he's on a lot of those UFO shows where he'll um, look at like videos that people send in and he'll start doing scientific research to see if if this stuff is real or not. So I I went into this meeting and, you know, to cover it as a newspaper reporter and um, I was in a group of probably like 40 people or so. And this guy got up. Like I said, he's he's in technology. He like was inventor of movie colorization. Um, he did he he invented something called LHX flight simulator. Uh, all kinds sweet. of little things that he he pioneered JPEG and MPEG compression technologies. Pretty pretty interesting guy. But he gets up and he says, uh, "Okay, so everyone here, raise your hands. How many of you have had an alien encounter?" And like I swear, probably half the room raised their hands. Uh, now I I really uh, have never had an alien encounter. <laughs> However, there are a lot of things that I would like to believe are real. And so my number three is something that I feel like could have really been real. And that is um, it. It's a movie that came out. Um, back in, let's see what year was, well, I forget what year this thing actually was. Um, hang on one sec. Let me just look. I think it was 98. Uh, let's see What's here. it called? Well, I'm going to get to that in just a second. Uh, so 1993, it came out in 93. Um, and it is about... I think the tagline for it was um, for five days, man was borrowed to examine. Um, and so the movie is called fire in the sky. And I think the thing that I really, that, that really attracted me to this movie was first off, it was based on a true story. And second, uh, it seemed like something that could have happened to us, like when we were kids, because it was it was a group of guys. They were they were out in in uh, for you know like a forest area, um, doing some work out there. And on their way back home, it was at nighttime. There was this big bright light in the sky, and so they stopped the truck. One of the guys got out and was you know looking up into the sky, and this flying saucer was there. And he's looking straight up and the other guys are like, let's get out of here. They're trying to get him back in the truck. And then this, this light just shoots down at him. And eventually it, it pulls him up into the, into the saucer. And I, I just, I think for me, like, it seemed like something that really could have happened to us because when we were kids, we, you know, we lived out in not, it wasn't country. It was more of a suburb, but there was like country like places Right, you know, when we used to get in Adam's truck and drive up to those areas and, you know, go four wheeling and it would be in the middle of the night. And it seems like that's something that could have happened while we yeah, were out was there. That, was that a, was that a fairly low budget flick? 
I think no, it was. No, it was. It had a pretty decent budget. Um, oh, you I know, there's it was a low budget one. Basically, uh, I, you know, I won't give away too much of the story, but there is a scene. You know, there's some sequences toward the end where you actually see what happens to him because he goes missing, um, and and they think, you know, they, everyone thinks that his friends killed him, and they were trying to cover it up by saying there was this UFO that took him away and no one believed him. But at the end, you kind of see what he experienced, that he actually was abducted, goes into the ship. There's some pretty pretty cool scenes of him inside the ship, and it shows the aliens working on him, you know, examining him. Um, and then he comes back out. Now, this it is based on a true story. These guys did a lie detector test. And I think the first one, they actually failed. And then the second one, they all passed. And the real guy, his name is Travis Walton. You could actually find a lot of stuff about him on the internet. There's a documentary called Travis, the, <clears throat> the true story of Travis Walton. But he speaks at a lot of UFO conventions. And <clears throat> he'll say that the movie's pretty accurate, but the ending was not. He feels that it, he wasn't, it wasn't an abduction. He feels that when he was under the, the saucer that something hit him and that they actually pulled him up to to fix him that some sort of piece of the ship or something hit him um and that that's what they were doing but it, there's some pretty creepy stuff in it and uh i'm gonna have to watch that again i haven't yeah, seen that in years so i'm, yeah. gonna have, I'm definitely gonna have to have to throw that dvd in and watch that again because that sounds yeah, neat. Worth watching. Like I feel yeah. like it has a lot of cool alien scenes, like the way I want to see an alien movie. You know, it has a lot of those images that you that are kind of popular in stories. You know, the, the light coming down, you know, from the saucer on something, the abduction, and the the autopsy or not the autopsy, the um, uh, the abduction and and the examination of him. Um, you know, it's really, really cool images and, uh, and the fact that it's, you know, potentially real, although some people have totally debunked it. Um, you know, he, this Travis Walton goes around and claims that it is real. So pretty interesting. I know he has a book and there's a lot of stuff on YouTube about him worth, worth checking out. Definitely worth checking out the movie. So that's my <laughs> number three. That's your number. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to definitely have to check that out again because, I, like I said, I don't remember remember a lot of that movie. Um, but I'm going to jump right into mine. Uh, mine, of course, is the uh, same situation as Mike is. I, I'm, I'm basically all over the spectrum on mine as well. But, of course, my number three is going to be Doctor Who. And specifically, I mean, Doctor Who is 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 definitely a great show it's been around that's still airing um and uh i would say i'm gonna pick something specifically out of doctor who because there's two specific type of alien uh creatures or monsters whatever you want to you want to call them that i think stand out probably more than anything in the series uh and that's going to be the daleks and the cybermen uh, the Daleks specifically are an extremely popular uh, enemy of the Doctors uh, in in Doctor Who. 
they're the ones that uh, look like, you know, obviously a robot. They're encased in, in metal. Uh, they got wheels on the bottom and some probes and stuff uh, protruding out of their their encasing. And then the the tops are like these little spinning type heads. And they, they just look like a robot. But the crazy part about the Daleks is that inside of the robot is actually a living being um, inside of it. And it's funny because I was uh, when I was looking up some stuff here, um, you know, they always compare a lot of the Doctor Who stuff with um, with other other TV shows. And, and on one website, um it was it was writing about how the different things that that Daleks like some of their abilities and things, but they they were saying that um, it's kind of like they have their own little version of 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 a Darth Vader sequence um, with with the Daleks. I'm going to read this. It says, "Have you ever wanted to know how the Tenth Doctor would have fared against Darth Vader?" It says, "Then pick up Trevor." Baxendale's novel *Prisoner of Daleks*. Sometimes, uh, sometimes because it has the closest thing to a Dalek Vader you're ever going to get, known as Dalek X. I guess Dalek X was like the the king of all the Daleks, um, and they sometimes call him the devil in the Dalek uh, form. He held a position of the Dalek Inquisitor general and hunted through space in a special Dalek battleship called the exterminator. Uh, and if you compare that with Darth Vader's stuff, uh, Vader's star destroyer was actually called the executioner or the executor, my bad. And so you have the exterminator and then the ex- executor. And then like Vader, his armor was black and that is of the Dalek X as well. And then he uh, he was found, you know, torturing prisoners for information. Uh, he would execute underlings to uh, to get them if they if they failed him. Uh, and he answered only to the supreme Dalek himself, as Vader did to the Emperor. And then eventually, uh, Dalek X was stranded in uh, by the Doctor in a de- in a desolate uh, area that was quarantined off. Uh, it had like tons of radioactivity and there was nowhere for that guy to, to get help. But the, it's just nuts to me because like the Daleks are just, they're just a neat creature. As a matter of fact, I have a little plastic model of them. And when you push the button, it says exterminate, exterminate. And it's weird because Terry nation, uh, the guy who actually created the Daleks, he's, he's the, the person that, that, um, He's considered kind of like the father of the Daleks. Uh, however, a lot of what you see um, of the Daleks, their iconic look basically, is by a guy who actually, um, his name is Raymond Cusick. I think I said that right. C-U-S-I-C-K is how you spell his last name. And he was the person that actually created kind of the, the pepper pot look. Uh, the so-called way that those things look on the bottom. Um, Cause like I said, it's kind of like a metal encasing and whatnot. Uh, he's the one that's actually in, in uh, was the one who created that look. But I mean, Terry nation's obviously the guy behind 
um, the creation of the Daleks in Doctor like Who. He, he came up with the, the idea of it, not necessarily the, the design. Right. He came up, well, in kind of even so as well as the design, but uh, the, the Cusick guy, I guess, was in, involved with in, you know making him like into that canister-type look. So it was kind of a combination between the both of them um, that uh, that made it. And then just to throw in real quick, uh, Cybermen. The Cybermen are, are definitely another huge enemy or arch enemy, as, as you will, uh, into, into the Doctor Who series. And the funny part is, is as I was reading about some of the stuff, I mean, these guys are like Cybermen. They, they had a total recreation of, of the Cybermen in uh, 2013. They completely redesigned the look of them in 2013. And back in the day in the original series, when they first kicked off, I think it was in 1966 uh, as the first doctor in the 10th planet, they actually had uh, humans, which I think they had humans, you know, obviously in the, the new rendition of it. But the difference was, is they had these like masks that fit over uh, humans and they were white with like these big eyes and they looked pretty creepy um, and they actually, there's a lot of people who think that the creepy side of the Cybermen were, were even, were more creepy back in 1966 than they do now, uh, at least in my opinion, I think so. Uh, but the Cybermen are definitely had to be, had to be said because once again, those are, it's an alien species and, uh, and it, it just had to be mentioned. So between the Daleks and the Cybermen, I couldn't really pick between those. And obviously there's, there's all sorts of other, other, uh, creatures and whatnot, but we're specifically talking about more of the alien stuff. Um, and what was the, the name of that book again that you were talking about? Uh, you mean for the, the Daleks? Yeah. Yeah. So that was, um, let me go back here in my notes. So that was, uh, the prisoners of the Daleks. Okay. And then also, if you want to just get a really cool read, of, of some other Doctor Who um, stories. I, there's another one called Doctor Who Heroes and Monsters Collection. And I just finished that uh, one. Yeah. And I that got one that has thing on my tons. wish list. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's really, really well done. So cool. On to the next. All right. So uh, my number two was uh, something that was really big in 1995. It was a video that came out um, that everyone was talking about, at least, uh, you know, this was, uh, I think it was my first year. Yeah, it was my first year in uh, college and everyone was talking about this movie. And so we ran down to Blockbuster Video, which still existed at the time and rented this thing. And it is called Alien Autopsy, Fact or Fiction. Oh, yeah. That, yeah, so. That is great. And this was, you know, finally, you know, actual film footage of an alien autopsy. And these aliens were supposed to be from the, the Roswell incident. So um, in, on July 2nd, 1947, uh, there, were, there was a saucer um, that people saw. 
and it crashed. And, you know, they, they, people said that the government was covering it up and it was, you know, they had it over at area 51 and no one was talking about it. Um, well, uh, according to this, this guy, um, his name was, uh, or is, um, Ray Santilli. He had met with some cameraman who gave him this film and said, you know, I don't want anyone to know who I am, but this is some footage that I shot at area 51 of the government, you know, military people, um, basically performing an autopsy on, um, you know, alien beings. And so in this documentary, they basically were, were looking at this footage and they were breaking down whether it was real or not. Now at the time UFOs had become a big thing. So on, on July 4th, no, I'm sorry, not July 4th. This was, uh, back in, uh, where was it? And back in, hang on, where was the date here? June 24th, 1947. There were, this was uh, right over Idaho, um, where you live, Tom. Um, let's see if it says exactly where. Um, one sec. Here we go. Hundreds of of sightings of saucer-shaped aircraft were reported in the U.S. and elsewhere around the world. Um, Though many were undoubtedly hoaxes, several came from reputable sources, including the crew of of, of a United Airlines aircraft, which reported seeing nine uh, disc-like objects over Idaho on July 4th. Um, In 1947 alone, 853 flying disc sightings were recorded in 140 newspapers from Canada and every U.S. state. Um, In any event, um, there was a guy... This was in 1947. So this was like right, right around the time that that the Roswell, the Roswell thing was was going on. But um, uh, it was June 24th, 1947, just before three in the afternoon. Um, this guy, uh, Kenneth Arnold, uh, he was flying his plane, um, and he saw what he thought was a flying saucer. Um, or that's how he described it. And so after, and it just became like this huge, huge thing where everyone knew about it. So I think a lot of people were talking about flying saucers and saying they were seeing things. Well, and in any event, the whole Roswell thing blew up and then this film comes out and it the documentary is pretty interesting. You know, what they, what they did was they, they tried to see if it was authentic or not. Um, like they looked at clocks on the wall, the types of tools that yeah, were being I remember, used. I remember and, how realistic that looked. Everybody was looking at that and wondering really if it was there was some truth to it. It, it was crazy. Yeah, I mean, so and they they had they had, they checked out the clock. It was from that time period. They looked at the tools. They had like actual physicians look at the footage to see if whoever was doing the the autopsy were, were doing what you would do in an actual autopsy. So, you know, to see if they were actors who didn't know what they were really doing. Mm-hmm. They examined the actual insides to see if it was a person. They had, um, 
Alan Davio, who is a cinematographer, kind of look at the film to see if it looked like actual footage or if it looked like they were staging it. It was like, like if it was like some editing. Kind of Hollywood. Well, the way it was shot, like I think, you know, a professional cameraman is going to be able to tell if it's someone actually shooting um, a live event or if they're trying to make it dramatic by the way they compose the image. And I won't tell you what they found on that. But then they also had Stan Winston and his team of special effects artists look at it to see, you know, if if it looked like a creation. So it's pretty interesting what Stan Winston and his team brought to it, saying like, it, you know, if this if this is fake, then you know we want this guy to come work for us. Because yeah, pretty much. It's just so crazy. Can you even get get a copy of it to see it nowadays? Like, is it on YouTube? Yeah, or? you can rent it. And you you could also see it on YouTube as well. Um, but unfortunately, um, it it turns out that it was not real. Spoiler alert. Um, but um, I think pretty. If I think pretty much everyone knows that it's not anymore but you know at the time it seemed like it really could have been real and so i just remember it being a really big deal and as far as like aliens go i remember that having a big impact on me and thinking like you know these things are real they're out there and you know they could they could really show up anywhere so you know that was always something that kind of freaked me out um so yeah that that was my uh my number two yeah didn't that also give us a little bit of inspiration when we made like our little home movies and stuff. Like we always remembered that, that alien encounter. Oh, yeah. Just Cause it was neat. I mean, and then when we found out that it was obviously fake, you know, I mean, but it was still neat. Cause it was like, what if it really was? Yeah. It's like, it's like you want to believe it. Like I always remember around the time that we were at, we were at the age where we were starting to realize that Santa Claus wasn't real. And I think that year, um, a newspaper came out and on the front page there was a, an image of Santa Claus in his sleigh with the reindeer flying over the, the mountain peak. And I remember thinking, oh, wow, it re- he's real. This, if it's in the newspaper, then that means it's real. Yeah. And I feel like this was kind of like that. It was like you want, you want to believe that it's real. And this, this documentary was kind of the proof to say, yeah, no, it's real. Um, I but, still uh, have that that newspaper article. Just saying. Oh, you do? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I kind of wondered what, what happened to that. Yeah. So, I'll just kick right into into my second one, and uh, I'm just gonna have to, you know, like we said, it's a combination of anything really. So I'm just jumping right in and and saying, Invader Zim is definitely oh, gonna be my number two. And Invader Zim, I mean. The crazy part about it, and I don't, I don't know if you know, but I mean, it aired. It did the one season. Um, I think it went, it went well. There, there was a lot of following and whatnot. I think people liked it. The problem is, is that they were having budget issues of actually getting that thing to continue on, and so uh, it went off the Seasons, air. Was it? I, I think it was. I, I'm not a hundred percent. I thought there was only one season at first, and then they. I think they came back up and maybe there was more. I, I could be wrong. I mean, I'd have to go back and look at the exact. So I don't want to say anything exactly. But if somebody who's listening has has a general idea, just throw something down in some comments there and and, uh, you know, strike up a conversation somewhere and and uh, correct me if I'm wrong. But uh, 
Um, I definitely, I definitely think that, that the creation that, um, was, was made by, I think his name is Johanan Vasquez. Hopefully I said that right. Um, it was directed by, uh, Steve Russell, uh, Jordan Rychek, I think. And, uh, and then obviously Johanan Vasquez there. Um, the, the voice of Invader Zim I'm just going to tell you there was a little controversy over that as far as the the voice. Um, this is going to kind of shock you, but the person that that Vasquez actually wanted to do the voice. Um, well, let me just tell you, the, the person who does the voice right right now, or I guess the guy who did the voice for Invader Zim was Richard uh, Horvitz. He's the guy who actually did it. But the the person who was going to originally do it was going to be Mark Hamill from oh, wow. uh, Luke Skywalker. Yeah. So, and then apparently the the reason that they didn't do it is because he was too well known. Um, so uh, Vasquez didn't he didn't want him on there because oh, people wow. were going to you know just say ah you know I don't want to want to have him. That's kind of crazy because. He does a voice. Well, he did a voice for uh, the regular show, and like you wouldn't even like he does a. He changes his voice so much you don't yeah. even recognize it's his, his voice, and it's like, you know, it could it could really be anyone. Um, so it's kind of crazy. Like he probably could have changed. I don't know. I guess you would recognize his voice, but if he changed it, like like you would never know if you were watching the regular show, you would never know you that. Probably was, never I, even know unless I, you saw yeah. Mark Hamill in there. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't tell. Probably not. Well, he didn't want to put him in there, he said, just because he was too well-known. And then I guess he offered the part over to um, the Futurama voice actor, Billy West, um, who I guess, I think he did one one of the voices. I think it was on one of the, the pilot episodes. Uh, and then they, they took him off. Because uh, he he was too busy doing Futurama, so he didn't want to have to deal with that scheduling issue at the time, I think, to kind of bounce back and forth. I, I think I'm right on that. I'm not 100%, but I, I'm pretty positive that that's right. But then they ended up just uh, casting Richard Horvitz there, who ended up doing the, the voice on him. Um, one of the other things that I was reading about is, is the actual creation of Invader Zim took Vasquez an hour to create like he basically I, I there's this little write-up here uh that i got off of a website um god i probably should have written down like where i got this information from uh so sorry about that with whoever is the one that actually did this but uh they actually wrote that uh they said that Vasquez claims that he came up with an idea for Invader Zim in under an hour, in bed, unable to sleep. The idea of Zim came from several things he was interested in as a child, including paranormal investigators, aliens, monsters, and science fiction. Uh, Vasquez liked the idea of an alien with power and technology to overthrow Earth, but instead ended up uh, failing and spending time in school. This seemed like a funny and interesting premise that Vasquez ran with. So basically, he just he just came up with the idea. Um, the other crazy part is Vasquez, uh, some of the other stuff he did. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but there was a uh, there was a, a 
another comic book that I guess was out, um, which you can get a comic book of Invader Zim. They actually just started re-releasing that in 2015. Um, they just started putting more Invader Zims out. I've got a whole bunch of them. Um, but what what he also wrote, Vasquez did, is something called uh, Johnny the Homicidal Maniac. And uh, I guess that's also a, a comic strip um, that Vasquez did that was really popular. Um, but one of the things that, that I think I liked so much about Invader Zim is that it, it brought every aspect of aliens to you know, to the table. I mean, the very first episode, you're basically learning about what and who Invader Zim is. I mean, he's on another planet, just like UFO Springs, where they're they're gathering together, all the aliens are. They're at this huge conference in this big, huge hall, and these two guys that are standing up on this stage are basically talking to all these other aliens, and each one of them is given a task to basically go and infiltrate infiltrate a another planet and take it over. And so um, they're so sick and tired of Invader Zim because he's really annoying. And so what they what they basically do is they they want to get rid of him. So they send him on this crazy mission and, and it's you know Earth is like light years and light years away and they just think he's gonna get lost. And then sure enough he you know, he he makes it to Earth and he builds this like secret, you know, house that looks normal. And he's got these these parents that he makes that are like these mechanical uh, robots in the in the front yard. He's got this this stupid dog in the front and everything looks normal. Uh, but then underneath you go and you go down through all these like little pipes and stuff. And he's got this whole like secret lab underneath there. As he, as he uh, sets up all his secret weapons and computers and all his technology, almost like a mad scientist to some extent, but he's an alien. And then he, he does what every everyday uh, kids do because he's small. So he goes to school and, uh, and, he, and he makes friends and stuff. But then while he's doing that, he's basically trying to find, you know, and trying to figure out how to how to beat Earth, basically, and it goes into this whole series and stuff. But that's why I liked it. It's just, I think it was so well done, and and brought everything about aliens in that regard. So I, I had to mention it. Nice. Yeah, that's something I, I definitely got to watch more of those. I've only seen a couple, and I and I liked them. Is just I did. I never I never watched the whole series. Um, so it's definitely something I want to check out more of. Because it uh, it's definitely fun. Um, so now I come to uh, my number one. Um, it's from 1962, and it is the Mars Attacks trading cards. Um, and I know most people will probably know Mars Attacks from the uh, from the movie, the Tim Burton movie, um, yep. which is a ton of fun. Um, and that was how I first found out about Mars Attacks. Um, was through the movie, but um, if if you can get a hold of any of the cards, or at least um, there's a book out called Tops uh, Mars Attacks. Mars Attacks. Tops is the, the company that that makes them. It's there's a 50th anniversary collection that has all of the cards, the front and back, and basically what what these cards are. Um, the front will have like 
it, it will have an image and the, the images were, were meant to, to kind of look like a pulp book cover or movie poster. Um, and then it would have like a little, a little, uh, uh, like a, a little, uh, description of the action. It'll say like death in a shelter or burning cattle. And then the back of the card had a little story and these cards are all numbered and you had to collect these cards, um, to get the entire story. So you could go to the store, um, you know, buy these cards and, and hopefully you would get them all. Um, and there were 55 cards total. The last card was actually a checklist. So you could, you could flip to the back of it and, uh, you know, mark off the cards that you had. So then you could, you could see which ones you still needed. So you could put the whole story together. Um, and I, I bought the book and it's a really fun book. You know, it shows the cards really well. And then there's some behind the scenes. It, it shows there's, there's an introduction by one of the creators, Len Brown, who kind of talks about how he, he got into tops and, and how this card collection came to being. Um, but when I was purchasing it, when there was a, a review from someone, which I thought was pretty interesting. I wanted to read. Um, the guy says, when these cards came out for sale, we combed our entire small town on Halloween night. And by focusing only on Mars attacks cards offered as treats, we, we were able to collect the entire set. We spent two hours sorting through probably a hundred packages. And toward the end of, of them, when we were fearing coming up short, we found the one we lacked. All four of us kids leaped, whomped, and hollered for 15 minutes that we'd completed the entire set. After several moves, they were never never seen again except for Zelda's website. When Topps released it, I had to get it. Anyway, the, the reviewer goes on to, to talk more about the book, but I just thought that was kind of a fun thing. You know, I remember, you know, when Garbage Pail Kids came out when we were kids. Oh, um, I you remember know, one Garbage in, Pail Kids. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I remember <laughs> you. You had got like an allowance or birthday money yeah, or I something. Got birthday, birthday stuff, and bought a whole bunch of garbage pail kids. I got in trouble that year. Yeah, you bought the whole. I remember you went down to to the liquor store and bought the whole box. And I don't even know. Did you even get all of them? I don't know. I know there was a lot of duplicates. I got a lot of duplicates, but I had enough to make like a bunch of the bigger cards. You know, when you could flip them over. And then make oh, a, yeah, you know, made a huge a puzzle card. or something. Yeah. I forgot about that. What's crazy though is I don't even remember ever seeing any Mars Attack stuff well, like they, that. They, so they they were kind of they were pretty much banned. You know, they, after one season, there's it goes into it in the introduction how they how they got rid of it. Um, here, let's see if it says here. Um, so they didn't they. They tried sending them out. Let's see where it says here. Um, and people were definitely upset about it. Um, you know, they, they were scantily clad uh, women uh, in there. Although I know they toned a lot of it down. It didn't get past top. So they, you know, they had, you know, a lot of skin showing. And so they, you know, tops forced them to uh -huh. put clothes on them. But there were still a lot of violent scenes. And a lot of the reasons why this came came into being was, there were like civil war card sets. So there was, um, 
something called Civil War News, which came out in, I believe, 19, around the same time. I think it was like right around 62 as well. I'm not 100% about that. I think that's what it what it said. Um, and then, you know, Davy Crockett was big at the time. And so there was a lot of these like war type things. But then weird science um, comics uh, were, were really popular. So so Mars Attacks was kind of a combination of of the war cards and then weird science and popular movies like This Island Earth. Um, but yeah, it got to, let's see where it, had, it wasn't long after Mars Attacks shipped that newspapers began to run feature stories citing the mayhem depicted on trading cards and tops began to have second thoughts about shipping additional sets into new markets. So I'm not sure how far it actually went. Um, but yeah, people were saying it was unsuitable for children. So between the combination of bad press and negative letters from concerned parents and the district attorney's phone call there, I guess the district attorney called in, um, complaining about it. Uh, uh, they basically, if you think think about that though, right now that that's what they were, they were complaining about. I mean, imagine they put that out now and it'd be like nothing. I mean, look at SAR or something. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) <laughs> but it is kind of crazy if you go through the cards. I mean, it is. I mean, they have like they have like a dang dog getting killed. Like they kill kids. Like, I mean, it's oh yeah, it's, geez, it's brutal. But there's there's a whole story. Um, you know, it it, um, it goes through a whole little story of the attack, and then eventually, um, you know, the world fighting back. Um, and it and it they really are they really are neat. Um, and uh, oh, that was the other thing that was inspired. There was a, a card set in 1938 called Horrors of War, and they were popular. And so this kind of mixed sci-fi with those cards, and um, yeah, they're they're definitely a lot of fun. Um, I would I would definitely check out the book, um, and it shows like some cards that you know some sketches and and uh, you say you got that off of Amazon. Yeah, it was on Amazon. Amazon. Um, it's a cool little book. It came with four four little collector cards. What's but, it called uh, again? Uh, the book is called uh, Mars Attacks 50th Anniversary Collection. Huh. Um, I'm going to have to check that out. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's definitely definitely cool. And then, yeah, the movie, you know, there's it, from the cards, you know, the movie came. There's comic books. Um you know, they even did like another card set um, in the movie. You know, I know I know it doesn't get like great ratings, but it's fun. You know, it, it doesn't have like an amazing story or any kind of. I thought the movie was great. It's just it's fun. I you know, it, it, it followed it followed Independence Day. You know, that was a huge movie at the time, and in my opinion, Mars Attacks is was is way better, especially in hindsight. You know, when you when you look back at the two. Mars Attacks holds up way, in my opinion, way better than than Independence Day. But it was kind of almost poking fun at Independence Day. Um, yeah, yeah. The, the these cards are great, and they tell a fun little story. You know, great, great artwork. Um, so I think it's it's definitely something fun for me. And uh, you know, I like the idea of of trying to collect them all. Like it, it definitely becomes kind of like a, a communal experience because you're, you're uh, you know, at the time where you collected things like this, it was almost like you get all your friends together and you're trying to piece the whole thing together. Oh, what did you get? 
we got a good, you know, if, and if you were trick or treating and people were giving these out as gifts, like that how would cool be would that be? So it, yeah, it, that sounds like a lot of fun. You know, that, that review alone kind of sold me on the thing, but, but yeah, the artwork is great, you know, fun little story. Um, and then the behind the scenes in the, in the book, you know, definitely make it uh, pretty interesting, pretty interesting uh, read, you know, to find out about. So that was my, that's my number one. I'm going to uh, jump right in here and I'm going to just say a couple of key words and then just pause a little bit because I know everybody's going to know exactly what my next one is. I don't know if you're actually going to like it at all, but because um, I don't even know if you if you even watch this. But uh, so I'll just put a, a couple of neat words in here. Resistance is futile. Oh, yeah. uh, assimilation is another one. And uh, those those two two words or those two things or even even you know, if it's I funny, say is I don't watch I don't watch it, but I know what it is just by the first thing. <laughs> I mean, resistance <laughs> is futile, and and the collective and uh, and and assimilation. I mean, it's just these three words. Everybody immediately is going to say it's the Borg, the Borg from Star Trek. Uh, they have got to be my favorite creation uh, as far as the uh, an alien thing goes. I mean, Star Trek is definitely my one of my favorite TV shows of all time. Um, just so everybody knows, and, and I'm sure people will get upset, but uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation for me is is the best of all of <laughs> all of them. I'm sure that the people who like the original series is probably going to get mad at me. And don't get me wrong. I mean, the original series was definitely uh, something to talk about. I mean, Gene Roddenberry definitely created a neat world. And everybody who played in the original series was good. I just think the next generation just kind of hit everything well, I right think on the Also, nail. at the time, you know, like Dad's generation, I know that he'll say Captain Kirk is the best. But at that time when that show came on that there was nothing like that um, oh, yeah. so it was a huge hit and so anything Captain that you kind of grow awesome. up yeah I mean, yeah what's his name there he he did he did a great job i'm not saying that he didn't i just there was something with the next generation it was it it had the good effects uh, you, you picard played excellent you had data i mean everything oh, about yeah. i think the next generation they they brought in like the the um so of all the different of all the different Star Trek series, that is your favorite. That's definitely uh, my favorite. The, gen the next generation. Yeah, the next oh. generation. And, oh. and and the other thing too is it's just they just had like all this neat stuff in here, and especially with the Borg. And I don't know what is so neat about the Borg uh, that I just like a lot. But um, if if nobody is familiar with it, they need to just go watch the next generation. Actually, the funny part is is that people think that. Um, the Borg were first first uh, uh, seen in the next generation, but they actually wasn't. I mean, the, the first time face-to-face -face with the Borg in the next generation was in the episode Q Hugh, um, which establishes like certain facts about the, the species and Riker in uh, the landing party discovered like this Borg nursery thing. But th the funny part is, is, is going through and actually doing a little research on it they come to find out that they have a lot of inconsistencies within their storylines. Um, it's funny because they, they claim that 
Well, let me just step back here. I, I will say the very first episode, um, was it in the, let's see. It wasn't actually in, I guess, Q who, Q who in the next generation was the first time they actually, um, went face to face with them, but it was actually in one of the first season episodes of the next generation called the neutral zone. And the starship enterprise discovered that several Federation and Romulan outposts had been completely destroyed by an unseen enemy. Um, they said that the outposts had been scooped, uh, scooped out and they kind of put, you know, a little, uh, parentheses or quotes around those. It says a technique we saw used by the Borg later when the Federation finally encountered them in their home territory. It was never explicitly stated, but that was our introduction to the Borg. So that's what's interesting about that is I, I didn't even know that um, because at the time it was considered an unknown enemy. But then later on, Q, who I'm sure anybody who's watched Star Trek, Q is actually an alien kind of race and he has an insane amount of power and uh he in another episode threw them back in time and basically stated that the human race was not ready to be where where basically the human race was to deal with such a massive powerful enemy like the borg i mean these, the borg basically was they were a collective they had their power they didn't care about anything other than bringing more people into um, into their race, and they didn't really care what you had, who you were. It was they just needed more bodies to. Um, they basically used like their minds to be powerful, so that if somebody had a strength in a particular area, they would, you know, use that brain would kick in more than the other ones and everybody would figure solutions out. They were extremely powerful and, uh, and they just were super intelligent. Um, it's interesting. Let me get to the, to this section. Um, they basically were, See, let's see. I already said that part about them throwing, throwing them back. Um, let's see. Oh, actually, I made a mistake. I made a mistake. Now I'm looking at my notes. So actually, they're saying that um, that the Enterprise, the original Star Trek series, was affected by the events of the feature film in Star Trek First Contact in which the Borg traveled back through time to stop humanity from achieving their first warp flight. So the Borg actually had had some input on, on them messing up their first warp flight. That was back in uh, the, the original Star Trek series, um, which I guess... Oh, it was in the original series? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. That's, that's some crazy information. I didn't even know that until I, you know, like I said, when we were picking our stuff, I went back and I started doing all this research and, uh, but some of the, some of the crazy parts about it is, is that in, um, in Voyager, where was that? I'm trying to find the, the one thing that, that, uh, talks about how, well, I'll just say it. 
I'm, I may have some of my facts wrong, so don't quote me on this, but they were actually saying that, that, um, uh, when they first are born, they immediately go into like this biological, they get these biological implants, um, to become, you know, more machine-like and whatnot. And they assimilate right off the bat. And, and that was discovered, um, in the show on Voyager and, but they contradict themselves because if you think about it, and I know you, you haven't watched Star Trek, but they, they contradict themselves. They say that they go after, you know, people and they just keep building more and more into this whole collective thing. But the crazy part is, is in one of the episodes, um, they actually have a queen that is the head of everything. And, and that's not really what the Borg is about. The Borg is supposed to be a collective where everybody is kind of like an equal. Everybody contributes because they're using everyone's brains to make up the hive mind. And that's what makes them powerful. But yet in one of the episodes, they had something called the Borg Queen that um, is supposed to be the person in charge of of all of the Borg. So uh, they somewhat contradicted themselves, but it's still neat. I mean, no matter how you look at it, the thing they travel in is like this big cube and, and it, it, it goes super fast. It, it, they, they have a frequency that when, um, when they shoot weapons at it, uh, when they shoot anything at it, they can shoot torpedoes, anything. It, it changes the frequency. So it just bounces off of it. Basically, it doesn't do anything to their ship. And, uh, and of course, Picard, obviously they get to him and they make him into, into part of the Borg. And then, uh, he gets out somehow and I won't ruin it in case people haven't watched it, but, but it's a great, it's a great alien species that was created. And I think that honestly, I mean, you, you just can't, you can't beat it. Um, when you talk about aliens, so nice. So, um, did you have like other, other things that you were considering for your, your top three? I know I had uh, a few honorable mentions like, uh, aliens, the movie, which I think of, no, of, of all course. the alien movies, I think the second one is the best because, you know, I know a lot of people like the first one, the best it was, you know, uh, more of a thriller, but, uh, to me, aliens, the second one has had a little bit of everything and it. You know, it was a movie we saw as kids and I think we were actually, I think I may have been in fifth grade or something when we saw it. And, uh, you know, it had a little bit of everything. It was freaky. It was really scary. It was tons of action. It was funny, just had a little bit of everything. And I, you know, I, I've seen this movie many times and, and I watched it again, um, probably six months ago. And I mean, it, it's really holds up well, um, so that definitely is is one that you know, as far as alien movies, um, is a, is yeah, something that, that I consider. And then Close yeah. Encounters of the Third Kind, the Spielberg yeah. movie, has a lot of Can't beat uh, that one. iconography that is great. Signs, M Night Shyamalan oh. movie, which uh, yeah. I I you know what? Yeah, there's some cheesy stuff at the end with the water and the swing away Merrill and all that, but. There's a lot of creepy stuff in there, and you know the, that alien kind of looked a little cheesy too in the end. But it still, it was neat. You know, it you was know neat. The, that one video shot where the kids are at the party and that dude walks by. I mean, it, just him walking by, it was creepy. Or when he was on the roof, or when 
Mel Gibson's going through the cornfields. There's a lot of freaky stuff that, you know, for me, it seems like that scares me more than, you know, like something a like, <laughs> yeah, or Friday the 13th or any of that, because this seems like something that could really happen. Um, so, so that definitely, um, and then of course, um, um, Orson Welles 1938 radio production of War of the Worlds, which I listened to every October 30th, probably for the last like five years, because it originally aired October 30th, 1938. Um, and actually, War of the Worlds was a huge inspiration for the Mars Attacks card collection as well. But it's, it's a fun one. And, you know, what he pulled off and, you know, the big scare, you know, tons of fun. So those are some of the ones that I was kind of considering as well for my my top three um, alien encounters. How about you? Did you have any other ones that? Yeah, uh, uh, honorable mentions, and I'll go through my list fairly quick here. But obviously Star Wars. I mean, you can't really beat yeah. Star George Lucas. You know, I mean, that whole world is huge. It would have been in my top. Uh, but, I mean... I, d- I wanted to do some other stuff more alien-like. Uh, I think Star Wars obviously has a bunch of aliens in it, but it, it was more of like uh, like monsters, creatures type stuff than I guess aliens in my book. But I love Star Wars, so I definitely have to mention it. Um, I'm going to say another one is uh, the book by Ernest Klein called Armada. Oh, I think yeah. That, I got to w- read that thing. I know a lot of people see him with Ready Player One, and don't get me wrong, Ready Player One is like one of my favorite books, but uh, Armada was well done. They had a neat uh, part in there where where they're talking about aliens and then playing video games and and uh, and how they're, you know, they play this one video game that everybody loves going out and playing and they're shooting up aliens and then they come to find out that they're actually really going against these aliens and training kind of like an Ender's Game sort of deal. So, um that was neat. Uh, and then the other one was uh, Mutant Pumpkins from Outer Space. It's just oh, a short yeah. by the DreamWorks that I think they, the story is kind of stupid, but um, the introduction, the beginning of it, when they're sitting on the farm and the flying saucer comes down and it just yeah, the, it's the whole feel the- of it. It's the monsters versus aliens uni- universe. And yes, a lot of the jokes aren't that funny, but it's a really cool atmospheric little animated short. Yeah. That opening with the farm, you know, I love that kind of imagery, you know, like, um, the, uh, creep show, there's the episode with Stephen King, like the, the whole saucer or meteor hitting a farm. It just has the, what you would expect from that scenario. It looks just like you would want it to look, oh, yeah. uh, and so that's why I love, and then plus the how it's it's Halloween night in that short, yep, and uh, and it really captures Halloween. It's in a well. pumpkin patch. It's fun. It's, yeah, it's it's, it's neat. a fun cartoon, you know, and it it definitely it has a good alien feel to it and a good Halloween feel to it. I, I usually, yep. I think I the first time I saw it was like two years ago, and I pretty I watch it every year. I'll watch. I'll probably watch it every year. Yeah, I probably will too. Um, and then I'm just going to mention these real quick. Obviously, uh, the evil emperor Zerg from Toy Story. I mean, he's just neat. I think that creation of that guy is cool. Uh, I got to mention Space Invaders, the game. I mean, the original <laughs> one back in the day. Space Invaders, the Atari so 2600. Neat. Yeah, you shoot, you shoot up all all of the the aliens that are coming down. I mean, and Space Invaders is just 
is just a neat game in general. So if anybody hasn't actually played that, look it up. It's really neat. I'm also going to mention another game that I think is really cool. It kind of tanked when it first came out because I think they kind of overpromised. It's called No Man's Sky, and I think the game is awesome. Is it's that a VR you, game or it's gonna be VR uh, in the summer? But right now, it's just a game that you you could jump in a spaceship and you travel to like all these different galaxies and you land on planets and you go around and it, it's just like a a discovery type thing. There's no crazy point to it i mean there is people have gotten crazy with the game put several hours in what i like about it is it's just like this big huge open world when you get sick and tired of an entire planet you just jump in your ship fly out go find another planet go down you could build bases and all sorts of stuff when that comes to virtual reality it is going to be insane i can't wait for that um and then also just kind of a fun fact in case uh anybody uh, doesn't know uh, one of the one of the people that I really have a lot of passion for is Nikola Tesla, um, and the reason that I bring him up, I mean he he created so much stuff as far as energy goes and some of the things that he did. But one thing that he did do is he created all this wireless type technology, um, wireless communication and whatnot, and actually claimed that he made uh, an encounter with. Uh, the planets, other species, people thought he was nuts. And so they stopped all his funding on some of the projects that he was doing. But uh, you never know. I mean, maybe he actually did and people just thought he was crazy. But the guy was a genius. And um, I mean, you never know. Something could have happened, some might not have. But there was a there was a, a time where he did claim that he made some sort of communication with another species. So it's kind of neat. Cool. Yeah, you know, there's one other thing I forgot to mention, um, and that is there was a magazine that came out um, about a year ago. Actually, I think about a year ago this month, um, called the Ultimate Guide to UFOs and Aliens, which has a lot of story, a lot of the popular oh, yeah. stories, like the Roswell story. A lot of cool images in there, uh, but there's just a lot of fun stuff about you know alien encounters or potential alien encounters, hoaxes or you know, are, is it real? Is it not? Um, you know, the Phoenix light. So there's a lot of fun stuff in there, um, which, uh, you know, I enjoyed reading, um, yeah. and checking out the, the artwork in there. So I don't know if that's even available to purchase anymore, probably on eBay or maybe even on Amazon, it may still be available, but a lot of fun. So needless to say, just once again, you know, we want to make sure that, that people are aware today is alien day. So make sure you get your alien on. And yeah. uh, just remember, too, that we're uh, we're going to be in UFO Springs pretty much all day and probably throughout the week. Um, and, uh, you know, just remember the book is coming out called The Transylvania Traveler. And there'll be information um, that you can uh, you could keep up to date with us on, uh, of course, jackolanternpress.com. And uh, we will be uh, doing podcasts uh, probably from here on out. I'm not sure what our schedule is going to be like with it, but uh, we're going to try to try to push out um, some podcasts with similar things that we're doing today. We're also going to try to go through each of our districts and kind of have topics that are in relation uh, to the districts. Sometimes, you know, it's it's maybe not going to be a part of the district, but most of it is going to be through our districts talking about monsters, creatures and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So uh, just if you guys want to. Uh, 
to follow what's going on, find out about the book, read stories at Jack Lantern Press. Um, go to jackolanternpress.com. We'll have uh, all the news about the book. Um, we'll have we'll post our podcast there. Um, and there you can also um, connect with us through email or social media. If you want to follow what we're doing or connect with us, you can do so that way. Um, but in the meantime, while it's Alien Day and we're here at UFO Springs, I think I'm going to head on out and uh, check out the UD4L Cheyenne dropship drop, which, uh, you know, if you remember from the Aliens movie, the spaceship, when they drop, um, they have a ride, you know, out there right now. Uh, for yeah, Alien Day, so I think I'm going to go check it out. And, I think I'm uh, going to go head out to some of the cafes and go get something to eat. So, sounds good. Have a good one, and thanks for joining us. Yep. Uh, well, until next time, we'll talk to you then. <laughs>